You said, I'm not going to hug you. I said, I'm not going to hug you. Oof. Like, why would we hug? Why? Charles, that's not good. Shut up and sit down. We are drinking some, some heavy melon, new Belgium watermelon flavored lime ale. Yes. It's all right. Employee owned, which I'm into. I would always buy, I think, you know, the, how they have like organic, there should be like people organic. And I would always buy stuff that was that. I don't believe most things that are written on packaging. I think it's, <coughs> that's true. I think it's all lies yeah. to get you to buy it. Because who's regulating what that means? Employee owned. Well, people regulate organic. So. Is it? Yeah. You sure? That organic is regulated? Yes, of course. I don't know. I mean, you think people actually check? It's the question. Yeah. I think it's just. I think there's somebody who checks. The organic guy. The organic. That would be a good story. Follow the organic checker. Uh, That's a good story, actually. One of the things that I like and I don't think happens enough in my life is discovery of stuff that I'd be interested in watching. And one of the problems that I think happens with Netflix or other things, you just kind of gravitate towards the things that you know you'll be okay watching instead of going for new things. It's You get into that zone where you don't want to take a risk and be bummed out. But risk-taking in filmmaking is usually rewarded. Sometimes it's not. But a lot of the time, you're going to watch something that's different and not up the usual alley. And I'm trying to do more of that. So I want to force myself to find more things. But I also want to be a resource for people to find stuff to watch if they're interested in it. You mean risk-taking in film consumption? Yes. Not risk-taking in filmmaking. But risk-taking people that take risks in filmmaking and then uh, my risk-taking in watching. In watching. No, yeah. We live in a very risk-averse consumptive world people are afraid of consuming things that aren't given to them by public opinion and yeah and it's ironic because it's easier now to watch art films than yeah you normally see than almost any other time in history yeah so isaac and i decided to kind of every once in a while do a segment about films centered on a theme watch different movies all the same type of theme and talk about them and we you kind of stumbled on this theme of uh, dinner parties gone wrong. And we just picked three movies that we'd watched or were going to watch that were on the, the basic topic. And the movies were The Invitation, uh, Coherence, and The Perfect Host. And The Perfect Host and The Invitation are available on Netflix. And Coherence is available on Amazon Prime. Those are... I guess I could have done more research to know where else they would be, but people have Google. I don't know why you have to point people in directions all the time. 
So what was your, you had a kind of overarching theory about why these movies exist that I was already annoyed by, I think, <laughs> but I want to hear. Well, okay. So, <clears throat> and at some point we're gonna have to give a spoiler alert so we can talk about the full length of the movie, but yeah. for now let's avoid spoilers for anybody that wants to hear, but doesn't want yeah. to listen to spoilers yet. What I see is a trend in contemporary films that is almost budding into its own genre, which is dinner party gone wrong films. So we remember movies like The Summer, the the teen group in the cabin that goes wrong, right? Cabin in the Woods is a example of a postmodern version of that. We we remember those horror films that were all here's a tea group of teens who goes off and uh they go off into nature and ultimately they're all like killed, right? Yeah. And that is a response to you know, you can culturally analyze that in all kinds of ways. The fear of nature, the um Teen sexuality. Teen sexuality being, right. uh, you know, unmonitored teen sexuality being this dangerous thing that's going to get you killed, right? And on the positive side, just the fetishizing that we have this fantasy of being one of these hot young teens who goes on like a trip to the forest and everybody gets naked and, you know, seeing what happens, right? But the fantasy is that good things happen and not... Well, you but that's how it starts, right? I mean, we, we there's an aspirational quality in the beginning, like, oh, this is so cool. Like, you know, you you both admire these people and take great satisfaction in seeing them slaughtered. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> My favorite parts of horror movies are actually always... What I love about horror movies, and I'm a huge horror movie fan, I love, like, the first half. I always love the first half and the second half with everybody getting killed, blah, blah, blah. Like I could always probably do without that, but I love like watching the writing and the, um, the way that the first half works of the relationships between the contemporized characters, right? Yeah. Like I love the, oh, here's the banter in the car and it's always super contemporary and there's always like interesting relationships there. Like I don't know, I always really love like seeing and the actors are always kind of like new actors. It's like watching f horror films to me are like somebody who loves college basketball. Like I love horror films cuz they're like college movies. You know, <laughs> they're like promising young directors, promising young actors. You kind of know where it's going to go and it's not really very professional, but you're seeing talent on display. Well, it's also the the genre that is considered like a mainstream genre that gets people in theaters that you can be, I think it's the genre where you can be most experimental and Hollywood will be okay with it. You don't need big names. You don't need a giant budget. All you need is a premise that is kind of a hook. And if you have that, then you've got an audience for your horror movie. And it's the only genre left where that exists. Everything else is prestige or blockbuster. You have to be into one of those two camps. But horror, you can fuck around. And yeah. it's our last bastion of really filmmakers being able to get Hollywood money in order to fuck around. And that's yeah. kind of its appeal, I think. Yeah, and you can, and a movie like It Follows, for example, <clears throat> can just be so clever and well done that 
since it has this genre vehicle, it can really rise to the very top, you know, yeah. whereas that's really tough. I mean, I guess lo-fi sci-fi is kind of making a run yeah. right now, although there really hasn't been much to speak of in that vein uh, in a while. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas horror is doing pretty pretty well right now. Always. Yeah, horror is always pretty good. It goes through different phases, but yeah. horror is always a pretty good standby. For, for, and it's, yeah, I just love watching the town. On, like, I love watching the writing of those early scenes. Like, to see just the relationship building and, and you know, it's something about it. I just really, I like it. Yeah, I saw Lights Out. Oh, I didn't see it. And uh, it's okay. Like, the premise is great. And the original short film it's based on is really great. Well, I, I think we reviewed the short film it's based on. on oh, did you? Short on shorts. Yeah, short I think. Yeah, or I would a, definitely watched it. It's a great original premise. The mo- what is out, the premise? Uh, the premise is that there's this thing that can get you if the lights are out. Oh, okay. And and that is the hook for a lot of really good scenes. Oh, I'm sure. There's Actually, that's a great idea. a lot of great scare scenes in the movie. It's kind of, the script is not great. And the message at the end is strange. Um, what's the message? Well, it, it, it was, it was, weird. have you seen the Babadook? Yeah. It's kind of, they took inspiration from the, my eye is twitching like crazy. Uh, they took inspiration from the Babadook, uh, and the way that they presented this creature. It was kind of tied into this character's depression and yada, yada. So there's a lot of parallel. It's not as well made as the Babadook and doesn't end as satisfyingly. But it's the same kind of vibe that it's mental illness related, this thing that's coming after them. But there's a lot of good scare moments. It's okay. It's if you want to, it's a good date movie, you know, good brainless thing to go see. The effects with the the creature and the lights turning on and off are really clever. So it's all right. Cool. The short, you know, if you watch the short, you've basically gotten... You've seen it. Well, I like the concept. Though. Yeah, it's a yeah, great concept. Yeah. It's already been greenlit for a sequel. They're already making the sequel. Too, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Because they're going to squeeze the life's blood out of it. Out of it for as much as it's... So dinner party. Anyway, okay. Too far so, afield. So we, we went too far afield. Anyway, I'm seeing the development of a new genre that could really only exist in this day and age. Why do you think it's new? boredom but what's no and no, i'm saying why do you think it's a new genre this is like people showing up to a dinner party and things going badly is ancient is it yeah so give me some examples clue that's not ancient that's 1986 it's not ancient it's pretty ancient and also clues based on a board game so uh, it's kind of ver- various agatha christie um like seven little indians right no idea. A bunch idea. of people that they come to this island. They've been called to this island for some kind of thing. It's 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 pretty consistent genre. I don't I don't think it's that consistent. And I think right now we're seeing a very specific manifestation of it. So anyway, let's let me define it and then you can try and poke holes in it. Okay. We've seen a a large swath of movies right now. From Coherence, which is a fabulous uh, sci-fi, lo-fi sci-fi, dinner party gone wrong movie. Uh, um, the Invitation. The Invitation, which you've probably seen on Netflix, which is a fabulous um, horror movie version of a of a dinner party gone wrong movie. Yeah. 
Um, the Perfect Host doesn't really fit into this because it's a horror movie that involves a dinner party, but it's so out there and terrible that it's like, who the hell knows what's going on? But there was also uh, The Overnight, or yeah. or I, I think that's what it's called. Or the, the Overnight, yeah. Which was with Jason Swarsman. That We might have the name wrong on that, but... Uh, that's right. Um, that was about a dinner party sort of not necessarily gone wrong, but gone uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's stuff like, what would you do? Would you rather? Would you rather? Which yeah. is, that's more of a clue type um, sort of game show-esque dinner party thing gone wrong. But uh, still, what I see over and over again is the fetishization. You taught me this word on an earlier episode. The fetishization of this upper middle class dinner party, right? And I think the reason why we're seeing that is because the people writing movies these days, this is their lives. And these are our lives these days. It's a succession of dinner parties. And since we spend so much time doing this crap, it's become like a fixture of our uh, storytelling where we want to touch on these dinner parties that we all go to um, and manipulate them and see like, Oh, here's the, here's the horror version. Here's the sci-fi version. Yeah. And you're seeing these things bubble to the top. I mean, you're seeing even the perfect host, which is terrible was like featured on Netflix at the top for a long time. Well, I, a lot of people have told me it was good and I was surprised when I actually saw it that it's not very good. It's it's well, we can get into it. But yeah, the perfect host is uh a robber um goes into a house and tries to basically hold hostage a guy who ends up being much more insane than he is. Played by David Hyde Pierce. Yeah. And the first time you've seen him since Frasier. And uh, it just breaks down into a completely nonsensical plot that's totally disconnected. Yeah, we should we should talk about this one first, I guess, because it's the worst yeah. and, and silly. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, not that you would really care. <laughs> but... Yeah, the guy, he goes to this guy's house who's going to throw a dinner party. And so a large part of the movie is expecting this dinner party to happen. And then it turns out there's not going to be a dinner party. This guy's just crazy. And he has these dinner party guests in his mind. And he's kind of he's kind of like Niles Crane. He's kind of a, a feat like, yeah. you know, fancy upper class guy. And he tortures feet is, a, is a great word. Yes, he's a feat. Yes, <laughs> and he tortures this dude and shows him pictures of past people he's killed, and it goes on. And at each three hours, something worse is going to happen to him. And then at the end of the night, the guy wakes up and he's outside and he has fake uh, makeup on to show that. He wasn't actually going to be killed. Yeah, he has a slit throat, and you think he's dead, but then he wakes up, and you realize it's makeup. Yeah, so then it's like, okay, so is this what he did to everyone? Is it just what he did to this guy? And then you find out David Hyde Pierce's character is a police lieutenant who is actually in charge of these detectives that are investigating the robbery, 
And when David Hyde Pierce is in his police lieutenant mode, he loses his effeteness and becomes much more, uh, he talks in a different tone of voice and he's very normal. And then at the end, there's a twist because the robber sends a Polaroid with a picture of the two of them together to one of the detectives investigating the case. And now he's suspicious of David Hyde Pierce and David Hyde Pierce invites the detective over for dinner that night. It's going to happen all over again. But because the rules are so jumbled, you don't know if the detective is actually going to be killed because he didn't kill the robber. So is he going to kill the detective? It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. And there's something with the girlfriend hired somebody to do this. Yeah. Also, what is that? She betrayed the guy. She used him to commit the robbery so she could get the money. Oh, God. It's so bad. David Hyde Pierce steals. And and the the problem with the movie is that the the character the movie should have been about was David Hyde Pierce. Uh, It's not a particularly original idea, but just this guy who's a cop but who's also a weirdo who does weird stuff. Like, I would rather have just watched that movie because the robber guy isn't very compelling. So is David Hyde Pierce actually crazy or not? Yeah. He is. He's not pretending or anything. Yeah, see, I made it about three quarters of the way through, honestly. I watched... I sort of fast I fall asleep, which... Yeah. That's my marker for if a movie's good or not. If yeah. I fall asleep, then the movie's not good. But I... I the next day I got up and I finished the rest of it. Yeah. And it, it did have a weird twist at the end, but... It, and I was kind of like, oh, that's... I guess interesting. It's not didn't make yeah. the movie any better. Yeah, but he does have this mental image of a, a successful dinner party in his head. Well, okay, so that's the interesting thing here is that he's so crazy that all he wants the David Hyde Pierce character is to have this amazing dinner party, and he go in the beginning he says, "Oh, my friends actually don't come over," so he invents them in his head. So in my cultural analysis here, what I'm saying is that there is this drive that people have now to have these amazing dinner parties. Like there's a having the perfect dinner party yeah. has become like something that people really, really pine for. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we're so separated by social media we're like not really hanging out ever and we never have real connection. So uh, that's obviously a massive generalization, but I think that the idea of the dinner party as like social, uh, the social gladiator arena has kind of come into, come into the fore that we, you know. I don't, ag- I don't agree that that's why these movies get made. I think it has much more to do with the economics of indie filmmaking. That they're single location. The single location, yeah, small cast, too, and yeah. what's the most likely circumstance a group of people are going to be in one location? Yeah. Dinner party. I like, think that's actually probably very true. I don't think, you know, I, I, I agree that I do think there is an, uh, uh, people want to have these great parties. I, I do see that, that drive, but I don't think that's become an emerging pattern in filmmaking. I just think that if you're not getting money from a studio and you're trying to get something together, this is the way that you can do, do it. Do the single location thing. And yeah, maybe get an actor like David Hyde Pierce to be in it because yeah. you can pay him enough to be there. Um, that was my interpretation of why you see a lot of these. But I don't, I don't agree that this is a new development. I think that this kind of gathering of people and stuff going wrong is a classic. 
Well, even the single location strategy, though, which as somebody who has a lot of filmmaker friends is something that I'm extremely familiar with. Even the single. So, uh, yeah. The single location strategy is that is kind of new, though, too. I mean, has that always been something indie filmmakers are doing? I feel like now you hear about that a lot more and you see a lot of more of these like lock, you know, these single location movies that cost nothing to make. No, I think that's that's consistent through time. It's, really? It's always been the cheapest way to make a movie. That's why people shoot movies in studios, because you can just build all your sets there. You don't have to move. There's no company move. Yeah. The easiest way for a filmmaker to make a movie is to not have to do company moves. You're just always there. You maybe have your office on site, too, and you just run the whole thing from one place. So you don't think there's been an uptick in there's been an uptick in single location. Well, there's been an uptick because there's more indie movies getting made. Yeah, than there used to be. It wasn't very common in the seventies, eighties to make movies independent of the studio system, unless you're John Waters or whatever. But now, because people have the tools to make films, they're still trying to figure out the best strategies to make them in. Yeah, and they're just doing it. It's a classic way of reducing company moves. It's 100% of the reason. Yeah, a friend of mine just made a movie called Night Owls, which is also on Netflix, which Mm. everybody out there should watch. It's very good. And it's very, very well made. And it's a sing, like, sort of the paradigmatic single location romantic comedy. Yeah. And they use one house really, really well. Yeah. It's like Saw. Yeah. The original Saw was made in one location entirely. Yeah. Uh, Cell. Do you remember Cell? Was it Cell? Cube. I'm sorry. Cube. Cube is entirely one location. That was one, pretty good. One set, and they just relit it every scene. Yeah. But that was, you know, that's it's just the easiest way to make a movie. Interesting. No. Yeah, I'm thinking of also, there was that Soderbergh movie that was all one location. Uh, the Girlfriend Experience? No, no, no. What was it about? It was like two people arguing in a hotel room. Oh. Yeah. I think it was Soderbergh. It was really cool. Yeah. That's if you're trying to make a movie on the cheap, it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. yeah. That's hard and you have to be creative. And that's why I think the dinner party is kind of an easy hook to to tie your movie to because that's the thing that people are familiar with, having this having friends over for a night. I'm gonna wait for these. Oh, the sirens are finally gone. <laughs> uh, it's an easy hook to have this thing where your friends come over for the night and build a story out of that because everybody's familiar with what that is. So I don't, I, I agree that people want to have perfect parties, but I don't think it's this driving force that's affecting that that's filmmaking. That's the reason why. No. Yeah, you're probably right. It, God damn it, Charles. Well, now you just ruined our whole episode. <laughs> no, I didn't because I wanted to talk about these movies individually because I like them. Both for very different reasons. I disagree that The Invitation is a horror movie. I think it's a thriller. It's, it's, All right. It's more yeah, of a, no, okay. It has thriller elements and more of a horror ending. Well, what defines a thriller versus a horror movie? Well, a horror movie, I think, is outwardly about scaring you. That's kind of like Lights Out is a horror movie because it's... it's about it's jump scares. Any kind of scares. Like general, you know, things that... Uh, visuals that are going to scare you. What What The Invitation is, is... A feeling of dread, which is what I love about it. It's just constant dread from almost the beginning of the film up through the end. Yeah. And I read a review of it 
And here's the storyline of the invitation. Spoiler alert again. This guy is going to a dinner party. He's going with his girlfriend. And the dinner party is being thrown by this woman who's his ex-wife with whom he had a child. And it's her and her new boyfriend or husband and uh, some other friends of theirs. And they haven't gotten together in like two years because the couple was gone. The, the wife throwing the party was gone for a long time. And the main character and this woman have a relationship. Their, their son died in a tragic freak accident at a, it was like a birthday party, right? So it's this guy's house. He used to live in this house. So he goes to this party. He's pretty miserable about being there. And there's just a sense of unease in the evening. There's like new people that have come to be a part of the party that nobody knows. And then during the course of the night, uh, they show, they basically do kind of recruiting for what may or may not be a cult. And it has allowed this woman to move past her grief over her son's death, whereas the main character's grief is still very present. And the main character starts to believe that something is wrong, that there's something very wrong with the proceedings. And the kind of greatness of the film is that you don't know if it's in his head or if it's them. And that proceeds for most of the entire movie until the end, when it is revealed that there is actually something very wrong. And I liked it as someone, I read a review that said it's a perfect encapsulation of what it's like to have social anxiety and to be at a party. And that was 100% true in watching that movie. Because mm, you have intense social anxiety. I hate, I hate parties like that. Yeah. I hate them. And, and one of the things that's really true in that movie is how people constantly bother you when you're at a party, like, are you all right? Constantly, just because you don't want to be around and have a conversation. Everyone is harassing you because you're not partying the way that they want you to party. And that happens to this guy throughout. People keep asking him if he's okay. And he's miserable. He's in his old house. His son is dead. Of course he's fucked up. But in when you're at parties, and I've seen this firsthand, you also isolate yourself, but it's not because your son is dead and et cetera, et cetera. So what is it that gives you such anxiety? It's too, it's too much stimulus, number one. I get very overstimulated. I, I have a hard time going into Best Buys and Targets and like box stores because I get overstimulated by everything that's happening in there. So it's, it's very overwhelming and it's hard for me to... I can't go clothes shopping for that reason. I have to have somebody shop for me. Like I'll go with them, but I, you know, well, that ex- I can't make any decisions. There's your excuse, huh? There's your excuse for the way you dress. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, can't. I have a disability. No, it's, <laughs> and I have no sense of style. Yeah, that's the other reason. So, why? What's the through line here? The through line is I don't like being around. I don't like the impositions that people feel that they are uh, entitled to. Just because you're at a party with them. I don't like it if you're just hanging out by yourself and people come over and be like, what's wrong? What's going on? Are you okay? I hate that. It that sounds I'm, like you don't like being asked what's wrong. I don't like, I don't like the assumption that be, because I'm doing what I want to do, that that's not what I should be doing at a social event. I'm tired of the tyranny of extroverts that we have to deal with. Uh, so anytime I'm at a social event like that, I'm just constantly under stress and i and I, again i wouldn't mind if i could just go there and do my thing what is your and, thing what, i just what? like to sit and drink 
and maybe have a nice one-on-one conversation with somebody or just sit by myself and watch people do party stuff. I don't have any problem. I'm not agoraphobic. I'm not paranoid. I would just like to be able to do what I want to at a party. But you're not allowed to. You it, just you feel great pressure to do other things. Well, it's yeah, it's direct pressure. Yeah. Like I wasn't drinking much last night. I was like, I'm going to have two drinks and that's going to be the end of the night. So I'm standing there with no drink in my hand. And somebody comes up. He's like, you're not drinking? And I was like, I've had two drinks. I'm good. I don't want any more. He's like, well, it's, you know, sometimes it's weird. You know, when one person doesn't have a drink in their hand, everybody else does. And I'm like, what the fuck does that matter to you? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. And that's what I don't like. I don't like this ritual that you're supposed to follow. At a, an event, you can't just do your thing. So the empathy I feel for the main character in the invitation is that because people are constantly bothering this guy. And in his case, he's bummed because it's his old house. His his former wife is acting weird and his son is dead and he's being reminded of it. And people are coming up to him and annoying him the whole night. And then when he gets upset and he points out that something is wrong, everybody acts like he's the crazy person. That's what it's like to be an introverted to have social anxiety at a at a fucking party. And That's not only is. that, and not only that, they're trying to sell him into this cult, which metaphorically for you could be like, be the company man, you know, be the just join up, correct? You know? Yeah, conform, conform to what we want you to do. Wow, that's interesting, and it makes me respect the movie that much more because it really is a it really is a great illustration. It's a hundred percent accurate par- yeah. like parable for being miserable at a party and having introversion and social anxiety. It's terrific. So, do you have social anxiety? I think I have a fair amount of it. Like, I have if I see someone I know in public, I will probably pretend I don't see them uh, because I'm afraid of. Uh, recognizing them and and not, or not even that and or ha- having them respond negatively to me, which is insane. That's respond you know. negatively. Yeah. Me. So that's telling. Yeah, that's you're what, afraid they're going to respond negatively. But that's what social anxiety is. It's so that, what do you mean respond negatively? Like how would they respond? Like yeah, fuck off. You know, like that. There's no re- It's who's going to say exactly. Fuck off to you? It's it's a it's an unattached um, fear. That's that, weird. that you just have that you have yeah I that's funny we talked about this last episode where it was sort of the reverse where i was saying i have anxiety when there's no talking yeah and you were saying that makes no sense and it doesn't but this also makes no sense i mean i feel what you feel in the sense of a lot of times i don't feel like talking and I don't feel like saying hello to somebody and being pretend nice and yeah. like thinking. Something, I don't like that either. Yeah, thinking of something to ask them. Whatever. I get, I get annoyed when I go to work and I say hello. Like I'm like, we, yeah, we don't need to do this. Yeah. We see each other every day. We know it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm here Why for my we shift have to like play the yeah. funny. Hi, how are you? Yeah, what's up? Oh, good. you know, yeah, yeah. It's a waste. It is a waste. Um. On the other hand, that's a little different than... I mean, I think everybody feels exhausted with that to some degree. The need to, like, be perky. I mean, I think I think that's something women have an easier time with than men. What? Just the social cohesion aspect of work. You know, I think it's easier for them to chat. And, like, okay, we're, we're going to sit around and, like, chat about things for a little while. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Is it because they have an easier time or because they're just, that's what they're expected to do more? I don't know. Whatever. I I mean, I I think, uh, I agree with you that I hate that. I mean, there's, LA is meetings about meetings, right? I mean, there's so much time wasted. Yeah, meetings. Talking about nothing. I've been to maybe three meetings in my working life where I came out of it. I was like, oh, I'm glad we did that. It was good. Most of the time, it's information that could be conveyed in an email. Or discussed on an email thread. Or it's just chatter. Yeah. I mean, so much of the time it's just chatter yeah. of things that aren't ever going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think th- at dinner parties, some people do dinner parties like that. They chatter, right? They go there to fucking chatter and just hear the noise of people talking about them together. And that's like, for them, that's bonding. It's like I, that's being with other people is just hearing the voice of the other people talking about nothing like yeah. the weather. I like dinner parties, though, because I like going there and not doing that. I love dinner parties because I love going and being like the drunk guy <laughs> who says who says what everybody doesn't really want to say or gets in, you know makes people think about twice about what they already think. Like I enjoy playing that role. And I think people enjoy that role because they all, most people are fucking exhausted by this bullshit ritual. But you're talking about is something different, which is this sort of deep rooted terror that you have of how people are going to react to you. It's not, no, no, it's, it's not terror. What you're talking about two different things. Uh, my annoyance at dinner parties is the policing of behavior. Uh, my general... The policing of, of uh, introverted behavior. Correct. Okay, yeah. My my issue, someone on the street, me pretending like I don't see them, it, that's more the social anxiety, just general anxiety about okay. social interactions and not knowing the rituals of it. Like, I, I'm in a position where I don't know... I don't... This is This is what... I mean, this is just a small thing, but this is something I joke about all the time. I don't want to hug anybody. I hate hugging. <laughs> I like I'll hug my mom, you know, or somebody I'm really close to or a good friend or whatever. But most of the time, like, I don't want it. I just want at most I want a fist bump. But doesn't physical interaction feel good? If it feels good, if it's people that I want to do it with, but most people like are casual acquaintances, and I'm like, why are we hugging? Like, what is this for? It's weird, and there's no rhyme or reason to when you hug somebody. You know, people go in for hugs, and and then it, you're an asshole if you're like, listen, I don't, you know, I don't want to hug. <laughs> right? Have you ever actually said that? Yeah, I did last night. I did last it's night really at the party. This, you said I don't want to hug. This young woman that had been <laughs> arguing with me. At the end, she's like, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to hug you. Like, Ooh. I don't like you. And Ooh. I'm not going to. Did you say that? I didn't say I don't like you, but. You said I'm not going to hug you. I said I'm not going to hug you. Oof. Like, why would we hug? Why? Charles, that's not good. Why is that not good? Because it's, it. that's just, I don't know. I think if you get in an argument with somebody, you hug it out at the end. I you don't, say, but here's like, the thing. let's hug. I don't like 
this person, I've never liked them. I don't want to interact with them. Yeah. I don't want to have a fake relationship. Mm. I'm I'm done. I'm too old for fake relationships. But you are unfortunately thrust into an environment where you have to see this person. So no, it seems like it's more work. This is the magic part. I can just go, oh, is so-and-so going to be there? I'm not going to go. Thank you. Well, but you see her at work. No, it doesn't work there anymore. Oh, she doesn't work at this no. thing anymore. No. Okay. Well, yeah. So then, okay. Then, then that's a little more uh, acceptable. Because then you're just saying, "Hey, screw you, yeah. lady." I thought you had to like see this person no. every day. Yeah. Because then it's just like you're you're hurting yourself by doing that more than you're hurting them because you're just gonna make this miserable circumstance where you have to like see them. I'm all just the time. I'm tired of fake relationships. Yeah. I'm tired of pretending to like people I don't. I'm over it. I'm too old. Too old for for that nonsense. I just want. You know, I want to excise those people from my life. It's like, if I don't like you, I don't like being around you. Why should I have to spend time around you? Let's get the fuck out. That's that's my that's my motto now. Do you think you defensively dislike people because you're afraid they dislike you? No, I'm. I like people most of the. I I think I'm actually, and I think if you look at the people that I'm friends with, that other people aren't. Yeah. I think you'll find I'm I'm much more open minded about well or somebody okay so you're friends with people like Lee Kushner <laughs> I wanna, who I don't want to name names who is by all practical explanations a completely impossible human being no he's what he what what he does is he he goes online. And he responds to people in ways that he shouldn't. No, but even in person, this is a this is a guy that does not really interact as much as just has personal monologues that you can be around or not around if you want. Right? Uh, he'll listen. He'll listen. Anyway, well, look, I don't know the guy very well, but but I'm just saying from afar, this person seems like the kind of person that is not someone that. Anyone in the the normal social spheres would interact with as a friend, and you go to great lengths to hang out with him, which actually really reminds me, as weird as it is to say, of my father. He was very like that. He always picked the weirdest, like most fringe people to be friends with. It's and I think, but but I think on the one part of that was noble. But I think when we're talking about you, part of that's noble. Part of it is you saying, I'm going to be tolerant of of people who otherwise are intolerable. However, I think also part of it is easy. And I think part of it is you are drawn to them because they don't intimidate you. No, nobody... I'm not intimidated by people. You said earlier in this conversation... That when you see somebody, you're afraid but, they're going to say "fuck you." That's to not you. intimidation. That's intimidation is different. That's just a general anxiety about. That's an irrational anxiety about social interactions. That's not has nothing to do with intimidation. And I don't. It, it's not that the, my my general philosophy about people is: I wait and see. I see how they treat me and are to me, and then if they behave in a way that I don't find to be an affront or snide or shitty, then I will be their friend until they do something that's beyond the pale of, of continuing a friendship. And I think I'm like that pretty easily. I don't really have a lot of 
things to prevent me from being friends with people. But what I don't like, I don't like people that are rude to me. I don't like people that act shitty to me. Who uh, likes that? Nobody likes that. Yeah, I mean, but people will put up with that. Well, people who, who puts up with that? A lot of people for the purpose of greasing uh greasing the wheels and not just telling people like, "Listen, I don't like you. We don't get along. Let's just not interact." We don't want to have those conversations, which would be easier to have. Isn't that a little unforgiving? Is what unforgiving? That perspective. No, it's not. I think it's a little unforgiving. I think you don't always catch everyone on their exact right day. Under- understood. You know, understood. Like not everybody's not always. Like I'm not talking about performing. A one, I'm not talking about a one-off. I'm talking about a, a, a ongoing uh, pattern of behavior. Yeah. Well, okay, look, if you dislike someone like this lady and you've been through it with her and you argue about stuff and you dislike her, I'm all for doing what you did, which is to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to fucking pretend with you. On the other hand, I do think you're a tad unforgiving and you're a tad scared. I I honestly think that you are scared of being rejected by people sometimes. And for that reason, you tend to like unfriend them in your mind before they can unfriend you. There's definitely, there's definitely a fear of rejection that I think everybody has. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody has a general fear of rejection. Absolutely. Um, That's not the sort of thing I'm talking about though. I used to do that more when I was younger. Much more, I'm going to wall myself off from people because I'm afraid of that. I don't think I do that so much as an adult. But the thing that I'm talking about is is just getting rid of toxic uh, people in your life and not, you know, just not letting them be involved in what you do and having to spend time with them and being honest about, like, listen, you're fucking toxic. Like, I don't like being around you. No, I have a lot of respect for that. I, I, so don't get me wrong. I have a lot of respect for but your I ability under- to say to there people, is- hey, like, I don't really like you. And I think that that's respected. I think that that's like, I have respect for that. There, I understand the, the preemptively pushing away people. And I think I, I think that I did that a lot more as a younger person. It seems like you're waiting for it. I'm it, waiting for what? It seems like you're waiting for people to disappoint you. In, <laughs> in, in, in your discourse, it seems like you're you're sitting there and you're waiting and you're like, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And then you're like, I fucking knew they no, were going to do it. You I'm, know? I'm, I don't think that. I don't... Because there's a difference between people disappointing you be, out of their own selfishness and shittiness versus behaving with malice. And that's... That's the thing that I don't like. I don't like malicious shittiness. I'm okay with being disappointed because somebody's just self-centered or whatever. I don't know. Hmm. Again, far afield from dinner parties. All right. Well, it's all related. I think we're we're talking about relationships between people. Anyway, fabulous film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch it on. Yeah, fabulous. Directed film. by uh, Karen Kusama. Yeah. Who? Of I Girl don't Fight. Know. Oh. She made Girl oh. Fight in 2000 and then kind of got sucked into Hollywood and made a bunch of mediocre oh, Hollywood really? stuff. And oh, then okay. This cool. is kind of her What mediocre into. Hollywood stuff? So Karen Kusama, her first movie was Girl, Girl Fight. Uh, she made uh, Aeon Flux 
Oh, okay. After that, she kind of got sucked into like, oh, we're going to... Michelle Rodriguez was in Girlfriend. Oh, okay. That was Michelle yeah, Rodriguez's yeah. first big... Uh, she made Jennifer's Body, which is that horror movie written by Diablo Cody. All very feminist stuff so far. Yeah, and then The Invitation was the most recent... Uh, film that she made which is totally non-feminist and that's great that's see i like see i love when but this is the this people is, with an agenda leave the agenda i don't know that she had an agenda i think that hollywood grabbed Forced her and said her. we're gonna have you female, yeah, make yeah, yeah, female-led yeah. movies yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. um i actually have a friend that's in this movie and the invitation yeah who her name's marie delfino she's plays the girl who leaves okay and who and after I saw this movie, I messaged her and I was like, "Whoa, that's amazing! It's 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 such a cool movie. It really is very good." Yeah, and like you said, it does a great job of of uh, uh, portraying this thing. It's got Skarsgård in it, right? It has a Skarsgård. Yeah, it. Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, who I have always really loved. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, and it's got a great it's got a great ending. I, the cult thing is something I've been very into. Another uh, Netflix pick I have recommendation is um, the Tony Robbins documentary. Oh yeah, that just yeah. came out. I just watched that, and it's not a very good documentary as far as documentaries go, but it is like you cannot look away. Like it's you're just like whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, at one point Tony Robbins pulls a woman out of the audience. And makes her break up with her boyfriend on the phone in front of like five thousand people. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. And uh, Robbins is, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's like on the one hand you want to hate him, and on the other hand, he's pretty amazing at what he does. I mean, these people are pretty sad and pathetic, though. But uh, some of them really do have really fucked up stories, and and he really does help. And then the other movie was Coherence. Coherence. Which do you know the production history of that movie? No. I kind of read up on it. It was ma- it was largely improvised. They had a they kind of did it the way they did Blair Witch Project. They had a, a general outline that they wanted to do, and then they for a lot of the scenes they just everyone had kind of a improv goal, mumblecore that they wanted to do. Yeah, and uh, but that's a unlike it's unlike uh, the invitation and in the. There is kind of a sense of dread, but it's more a sense of weirdness. I'd, I'd associate it more with like primer. Yeah. It's lo-fi sci-fi. Yeah. It's classic lo-fi sci-fi. Yeah. But it doesn't have the sense of dread. It has more of a sense of adventure sometimes than than uh, coherent or than uh, the invitation. But it's pretty similar, all, all things said. I mean, it's like a bunch of good looking people at a dinner party in slowly, LA. yeah, in well, LA, slowly it, descending into madness. It was shot in LA. It was definitely implied that they're in Silicon Valley. Somewhere. Oh, okay, okay. But it was definitely shot in LA. Yeah. And it's not as good. It's not as good as the invitation, but it's still it's pretty solid. It was it was it was compelling. And basically the plot of that movie is again another dinner party. And yeah, this is where the kind of weakness of the writing would come in. Like they're like, Oh, there's a comet passing overhead tonight and they kept talking about it. I'm like, Okay, this is gonna this is gonna be something that affects uh, what happens and indeed it does the comet passes overhead and then there's just a series of weird events that come out of that um and spoiler alert uh it's because there's fractured uh realities and there's multiples of all of them and they're worried about their other their doubles and the other location coming to kill them 
and the personalities of the people uh, affect the evening too. Um, and that's the kind of interesting thing about these dinner party movies that is that they don't really have, they don't really need to have even likable characters because a lot of the characters in both aren't that likable. And in the perfect host too, like there's nobody that's likable. There's nobody where you really like, this is a, well, definitely in the perfect host. I think both in, in invitation and coherence, you do have your person that you're hinged to, which I think is the blonde woman in coherence. And, you are the bearded guy. And, yeah. Uh, he irritated me. He had, it was more his look his that irritated look was me. so irritating. It's this bearded fucking, it's yeah, like the good looking guy who grows a beard. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's got long, it was his morning beard. <laughs> yeah. Because he was sad and that was their yeah, way. Yeah, I'm sad. It's but like he still had like beard. well coiffed hair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of hipster. Oh, this beard thing, this beard thing drives me nuts. It's just like, uh, it's just the most wannabe alpha males who are all like, oh, if I have this beard, like that means I'm really nice. They just all look like prospectors to me. Like with, There's this guy at my gym who I think he's a CrossFit guy. So he's that kind of douchey CrossFit vibe. But he had this like big gray beard. And he shaved it off, and he looks like a completely different person. <laughs> yeah. And actually looks handsome. He's like a handsome... I'm like, oh, you're you're a handsome face, but you have a weird prospector beard. Yeah. <laughs> and he... Uh, after class, he like fist bumps with everybody in the class, which annoys me. So you do do CrossFit? No, it's not a CrossFit oh, gym. He's like- a guy that either works at a CrossFit gym or has been at a CrossFit gym. And oh, but he's he, just at your gym. Yeah, yeah he's oh, okay, okay. taking classes at my gym, but he fist bumps her, but at the end of it, I'm just like, well, that's another reason not to do CrossFit. It's a total status symbol, the beard. I, I saw, like, you know, I watched the Which is strange, because it's... It's a status symbol. It's like, when I worked at this major ad agency, the dudes were divided into two camps. Either it was beard guy or super nerd you know there was no normal (laughs) (laughs) there was no it was like nerd who spends zero time who plays video games all day or like beard dude who like goes to fucking burning man and like yeah like surfs like i totally surf like every day you know and it's just so fucking fake it's such a phony phony thing it's like but women love it. It's like now women are like go nuts about the guy with the beard. It's like that's the cute guy with like the huge fucking beard. I was in an so elevator absurd. at work one day. Yeah. And I shared the elevator with like he was a guy, he had like the the product hair, you know, where it's like very there's a obvious part yeah. Oh, yeah. product hair. Yeah. Big beard. Yeah. The total hipster Giant chic, beard. yeah. Sleeve tattoo on one arm, yeah. yeah. Skinny jeans, weird sandals, yeah. And oh, then, weird sandals. That's a twist. And then he got off the elevator, and the guy waiting outside had like dreadlocks, beard, <laughs> and what was the it was the other like shitty thing that he had? Oh, a hat. He had like a stupid hat. It was like a fedora or something. Yeah. And I was just like. And what's enough? Like yeah. you guys are wearing a uniform. Yeah, it looks, give us a fucking it looks break. Ridiculous. What I've learned in life is that always this is a rule. This is a law of humanity. 
the further someone goes into peacocking, yeah, the further they go into their look, yeah, the blander they are inside. Yeah, that is always true. The people who have like the craziest rock star stuff are always the least, least like potent inside. Whereas the craziest people I know are all like the most normal looking yeah. people. Like the people who are truly the most like terrifying <laughs> human beings, you know, are, are all like totally normal looking people. Yeah. There's two in this room. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Very disturbed. Yeah. The characters in coherence are a little older. It's like a slightly older crowd in coherence than the invitation. Oh, I didn't get that. Really? I thought it was totally the same. Totally the same age. It was like, I would say like early, late thirties late 30s group i thought like maybe you're right but i just felt like maybe it's because that one dude is so much older and coherent there's like an older couple in coherence well, that, but that one oh wait which dude's so much older the the guy with the beard and coherence and his wife man I don't even they're like an older couple and she's all hippy dippy oh, okay. chakras and shit yeah and everybody else is kind of like mid 30s i felt yeah yeah yeah, but there's also the old guy in in the invitation. But that but, guy is the interloper. He's yeah. not in the social circle. That's He's, such a cool scene where he describe describes killing his wife, and yeah. it's like talk about unease. It's like, oh god, where yeah. is he going to go? And it's just this great silence. And it really is a great movie. On on retrospect, it's very well done. Really terrific. It was my favorite of the three. I also liked Coherence, and I was com- I found it compelling. Yeah, the perfect host is stupid. Uh, it's well made. It's not a like a badly made movie. It's just a shitty it's script. Terribly written. Yeah, it's very badly bad written. Writing. Script. It's like how many like let's pack as many twists in into one. But the thing. twists that mean nothing. Yeah, meaningless twists. But my like I said, my favorite part of the invitation is that sense of you don't know if he's actually crazy or not because it swings enough in both directions where you're like, I don't know, man. He's just, yeah, what's going on? He's there? just miserable because his wife has moved on and he hasn't, and that's really. That's part of that that sense of gaslighting that that is kind of uh, interesting about that experience. Gaslighting. What yeah. does that mean exactly? It's where it's from the movie Gaslight, where um, this this woman marries this guy and he starts doing stuff to make people think that she's crazy, and it's partially like changing. I don't remember if the gaslights in the house or outside the house, but he adjust them all the time and makes them at different levels and she is like these are changing all the time and it's like what are you talking about honey it's fine and that's where the term comes from so a lot of that is is this main character getting gaslighted by the cult people in the movie making him think like he's the problem you're the problem and that's that's the struggle introverts have yeah as we get we've been gaslighted by extroverts forever my dad was perfect example extrovert and made me feel like I was being bad because I was I didn't uh, take in stimulus the way that he did, and I and I functioned differently in social situations. Well, but as we were talking about last time, I don't think that the in extrovert, which I guess you could say I'm an extrovert. I don't know, but are you an extrovert? Let's see. If if you're in a, see, I don't believe in this dichotomy. Well, to begin with, but have we I talked about this? Dichotomy? Yeah, I think it's it's just a made up thing. No, it's not you're real. wrong. 
It's it's of course it's real. If I you're don't an, mean it's real. Oh so God, reaches down and says you're an introvert and you're an extrovert. I mean, come I don't on, I don't believe this? I don't believe that either. But the way that you take and the way that people take in stimulus varies. Yeah, like if you're in a, a yeah, if you're a, if you're in a let's say you're at a party, right? At the end of the party, when you go home, are you uh, filled with energy? Did you get energized by the party? It completely depends. Sometimes I feel like absolute shit, and I hated everybody that I've been around. And sometimes I feel good. It c- completely depends on the situation. You might be an ambivert. Oh yeah, I'm like it's like see you're trying to put people in these camps that it's not real. It's not putting people in camps. It's just trying to understand how people uh, function. It's a dichot. You're you're creating a false dichotomy. I don't that, think it's a false dichotomy, think, but exists. I think extroversion rules the United States. And so you see what you just did. You said I'm not creating a false dichotomy, but it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> funny. <laughs> But you're saying it's a false dichotomy. <laughs> I'm saying it's not. There's not just two things. It's a. It's, no, it's, a, it's, it's not even a spectrum. It's a very multicolored thing. I don't think everybody is always one way or the other way. I, I would agree with that, but I think people are more that way than not. Well, I mean, we can talk about how people handle social circumstances and how they digest information, and certainly we can use the word introvert to describe a certain type of way of handling things. Yeah. But I don't think it's like oh. The opposite of that is this other thing. It's like, I think it's just, there's a multicolored way of handling, of handling these situations and everybody is kind of like different. I would agree, but I would also say that from my personal experience, in my lifetime, the, the uh, onus is always put on people like me. Uh, For instance, at school, the way we educate kids, we say, oh, it's time for group work time for you guys to work together as a group for me as a kid i was miserable well yeah I'm but like, this is not how i learn how to do things yeah but some people do some people are Ex- totally clumped exactly. together you know? exactly and that but that's my point exactly some people function that way other people don't but the way that we always uh tilt towards is the is that's that not way. true test taking is done alone there's a million things that are done alone i'd say actually it's more lonely work than group work. I think we're moving towards because things have gotten so feminized. And I think <laughs> I think femininity is a much more collaborative group thing than masculinity, which tends to be singular and like working in the, you know, working on your own, you know? I don't agree. I think femininity is much more about this sort of like, let's all get together. Let's, all, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet, you know? Whereas masculinity is much more like, let's just do the work. Let's just do what needs to be done. And then if we need to fix it, we'll talk about fixing it. But let's have you just read, do it. Have you read Quiet? You should read Quiet. I haven't read Quiet. All right. Let's, let's read Quiet. I'll see if I still have it. <laughs> and we can, uh, well, it's quiet. we can exchange notes. It's a book about uh, introversion. All right. Okay. So let's talk about with your father. You're saying that you had this relationship where he was always expecting you to talk and well yeah we'd be it would be like uh, one example is um this is we were waiting for a boy scout camp out or something and everybody was gathered together and i was just it was early in the morning and i was just like i'm just gonna go somewhere else and wait until we leave so i went and i 
just stood by myself and just kind of fucked around with rocks or something and did whatever. <laughs> you know, and my dad was furious. He's like, you're turning your back on everyone over there. And he saw this completely different thing than what was I was actually doing. I see. And he was he was assuming that I was just being shitty, mm-hmm. that I was being I see what you're saying. an asshole. But I wasn't. I was just like, I just need to not be around 30 kids right now. I yeah, well, I know. Right and here. people take that the wrong way, right? People inevitably think, oh, Charles is... Charles thinks he's better than us or Charles doesn't care about about this thing. Whereas all you're saying is I just don't need or really desire to have this connection with people all the time, which is mostly bullshit. And I feel the exact same way as you, man. I mean, like I quite often would love an invisibility cloak to go to a bar and just sit in the corner and drink my beer and like watch people. Yeah. And and just or just think about whatever I want to think about and interact marginally if I feel like it if somebody's really interesting, you know, like yeah, let's have a conversation. Right. And shitty conversations really do detract for me. Yeah. Like I've this suck the energy. They out suck of the energy yeah. right out. And then when you have a good one, I do feel a great deal of energy because it's like, oh, thank yeah. God. Like I'm finally getting that was something when I lived in New Orleans. The intellectual life of New Orleans is so utterly lacking. It's mm-hmm. like the intellectual life has just been drained. It's like black and white world you know what i mean it looks like pleasantville world it's like you go to a place where there's no room for discussion everybody only talks about sports there is no real life conversations happening at all and i remember when i was there i traveled to new york to like visit new york where i used to live and it was like going to a color yeah color tv from a black and white tv where i was like oh my god people here are actually like talking about shit you know and it was like such a deprivation which was part of the reason why i had to get the fuck out of there so i dig that man um but on the other hand i don't really think i don't know it seems like you have a little bit of a pathology like from your upbringing and things about this which i don't think is really real I mean, about introversion, extroversion, like, I feel like you feel like you're being persecuted all no, the time. No, no, no. It's not a, it's not about a personal persecution. You just persecution. said the tyranny of... Yeah, it is a tyranny. And it's not a tyranny of maliciousness. It's just a tyranny of expecting everyone on the planet or everyone in your community to function the same way socially that you do. That's what it is. And, and, and like I said, gaslighting people that function differently into thinking there's something wrong with the way that they they take in stimulus because they don't want to be because they do it differently that's that's where the the struggle comes from i don't have the pathology from childhood because i i didn't as a kid i was just like oh i'm weird there's something wrong with me i don't function the way that everyone else does but then as an adult but uh, do you really feel like it's everyone else that is like you're that different? Not anymore, no. But as a kid, you do because you don't have anyone telling you it's fine to not want to be in a group. It's fine to want to spend time by yourself. Yeah. It's fine to want to be solitary sometimes. Well, because parents definitely like they worry. If their kid is like talking to people all the time, they feel fine. Whereas yes. if their kid is on their own, they like worry like, oh, yeah. is he is he okay? Yeah. 
And all right, that, I'll buy that. My my uh, dad and mom, when I was in elementary school, especially, used to arrange friendships for mm. me because I just didn't give a shit. Yeah. And so I had these like friends that were made by my parents. Well, everybody had play dates, man. I mean, everybody had that. Everybody had like, oh, let's get the kids together. But were they friends from something or were they arranged friends? Oh, totally arranged. I mean, there was the parents became friends or the parents talked and they would be like, all right, let's let's like, you know, maybe the kids will become friends. Yeah, that's weird. No, dude. My, my best friend growing up always was a friend that our parents became friends and then they were like, all right, let's see if the kids like to play together. And oh, we did. Play yeah, nice. yeah. I mean, it didn't always work. I mean, I was always very different in that sense. Like, I always was super sticky with making friends. Like, I always made friends, like, very well. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a lot being an only child. And it was just out of pure necessity, <laughs> you know, that I wanted people around Yeah, I guess me. it's different because I had a sister. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of had this built-in, even though we had a five-year age difference, you still kind of have this, like... Somebody around. Yeah, this yeah. person that's not an adult. Whereas I was so desperate for, like, people around all the time that I, like, just made myself into somebody that, like, was pretty friendly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I didn't struggle with was, like, friends. I always liked that. But, uh, hmm, I don't know. Is your sister younger? Yeah. Where's she? She lives in Arizona. Really? With your parents? She lives, well... My mom is there, and my sister's there, and my dad is dead. So she uh, doesn't live with my mom, but they live in the same town. And what town? Tucson. Oh, okay. And what does she do? She does social work. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And is she also an introvert? She is. Uh, she's kind of further on the mixed end of things, but I think she has some similar tendencies. We have a lot of... We don't have much similar on the surface, but I think we have a lot of emotional and psychological similarities. Does she listen to the podcast? Sometimes. She doesn't like you. That's Oh, (laughs) really? Come on. Come on, sis. (laughs) I don't know if she's listened recently, but your initial appearance, she... She didn't like it, huh? Yeah. She she and you would be diametrically opposed. About just politics. Feminism in particular. Uh, For sure. Hey, I don't... I am a feminist. I am a feminist as far as I believe in gender equality. I just believe in gender equality. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So our recommendation is yes to the invitation. Yes to coherence. No to the perfect host. No That's a hard no host. from both. Yeah. No need to watch it. No need to watch it's it. It's not enjoyable. It's a total a waste of your life. It's a mess. And maybe in terms of the overnight, which is a similar sort of offshoot. I, I saw it. I, I feel like we're getting the name of this wrong. But, um, I think it's the overnight. Do you want to look it up so we get it right? Uh, I would say it's okay. If you can stand Jason Schwarzman, which I can't, I would say give it give it a shot. But uh, it's pretty funny. It's kind of a funny movie. Um, but it's a similar thing. It's a, it's like a really cool dinner party in L.A., like in Silver Lake, like gone slightly awry. 
Yeah, Adam Scott, Taylor yeah. Schilling, Jason Schwartzman. The Overnight. Yeah, The Overnight. Nice. I always do. I have a soft spot for Adam Scott, so I like. I've always liked him. He's got like. I just like his like charisma. Yeah, that's the comedy version of what we're talking about right now. There's a great Adam Scott movie called The Vicious Kind. Oh, what's that? It's a movie where it's this uh, this guy comes home, I think, for Thanksgiving. And his older brother, played by Adam Scott, is just a horrible scumbag with a lot of issues. Ooh. J.K. Simmons plays the dad. Ooh, that sounds great. It is. It's quite enjoyable. Oh, I gotta, I gotta watch Adam Scott this. at his best. Nice. Still loathsome. But still lovable. Loathsome, yeah, somehow but lovable. lovable. Yeah. yeah. He's just got that, like, lost deer quality. Any movie where the one of the main characters is repellent and uh, just horrible person I really enjoy. <laughs> bad Santa. You're, you're a big Bad Santa fan, Yeah, huh? love Bad Santa. Funny. And some people loved that movie. I just didn't fully come around to it. I like that director, though, Zwigoff. My dad's favorite movie of all time is Ghost World. Okay. And uh, which always says a lot about I don't like my Ghost dad, World. But you don't like that movie? No. I feel like you would love that movie. Doesn't do it for me. Huh. Uh, also, um, bad words with, uh, you saw that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's not, what did you see it? No, it's I, not bad. Really? You, yeah. Oh, it looks so bad. He's it's, he's mean to a little boy for 90 minutes. And you like that. How could you not? Did you see that? the lobster? I've not watched that yet. So definitely see that. Uh, you'll, I think you're going to like it. Although I failed your test on it. I fell asleep halfway through. Well, that's my test. Yeah. That doesn't mean it works for you. But that's... I don't think that works for me. I think I've fallen asleep in movies that I ultimately like in the long run. Uh, if, I, if I can keep engaged, then I usually don't fall asleep. But if I'm just like, uh, then I'll yeah. close my eyes. That's my test for a movie. That's, test. that's not your test. <laughs> 